0: A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone.
1: Welcome to Transformative Experts. Um, got a great show as usual for you today. Today I have Brian, um, I've got Brian Reese with me. Brian is a um, is a retired, uh, I think retired is the right word, Brian. Brian's a retired um, Air Force captain, uh, has seen action um, veteran through and through and has a number of incredibly great stories. Brian, um, thanks for being with us today.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's, you're, you're close. So in the military, they say retired if you served 20 years or more. Got it. If you if you left anywhere before 20 years, they'll they just say that you were separated. So I was a captain separated. I did, did about six years active duty.
1: And so where, where did you do that active duty?
2: Sure. So I started off at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs in 2003. And then I went out to Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix, Arizona. After that tour, I went to Hanscom Air Force Base in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Then I had a seven-month deployment to uh, good old Afghanistan in 2011, came home, uh, took off the uniform towards the end of 2012, and then transitioned actually into federal civil service. So I worked uh, worked for the Department of the Air Force as a civil servant, uh, just absolutely loved the mission of the Air Force and wanted to stay tied into it. Um, I've always had the entrepreneurial bug, though, and really saw the need to serve veterans and their families and to help them get their disability benefits that they've earned for their service. And so I started a a full service education company in 2016 called VA Claims Insider. And uh, today we're over 200 team members and we serve about 2000 veterans a month. And uh, our membership programs, it's just been a, a blessing beyond my wildest dreams.
1: That's absolutely incredible. and and you're I mean, you're you're helping the you know you're helping veterans, especially wounded veterans, um, you know, as, as you put it, get what they deserve. they they've 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 got benefits out there, and it's not always easy to navigate the government systems, is it?
2: No, it's and that's really the problem. And this is what I tell vets too. and and by the way, this is for all Americans. We need you to be talking to our elected officials. And to constantly be pushing and supporting initiatives that support veterans care, so their health care and their benefits. That's just one, one small ask I have of, of America is uh, just keep pouring it on. We, you know, there's, we need more benefits for veterans and their family members. And so the problem, the problem is not the VA. The, the problem is not you as the veteran. The problem is not the VA. The problem is the system the complexity of how confusing and frustrating it is to try to navigate the process on your own. And so all we've done is we've taken that confusing process and we've boiled it down into eight steps that kick off over 30 days and we walk the benefits journey with the veteran. So they get paired with a coach. So they're never alone and they know what to do and how to do it. And it's just, the, the relationships we're able to build with fellow veterans. I mean, we're able to speak into their lives. And we say this all the time. We, we don't, we don't, ha- we don't do disability claims. We help veterans celebrate life change. And oh, by the way, we're pretty good at helping them get their disability benefits too. Right. It's a, it's a mindset shift and it's a holistic model to make sure that we're on point to serve veterans, no matter what their need is.
1: So why is it so complicated? You know, again, look, and I know it's government, right? Government gets complicated; everything's complicated. But why does it have to be? I mean, what's happened through the years to make this so darn difficult?
2: Sure. So the disability system goes back to 1636. Literally, there was a a Plymouth Colony law in 1636, and the, the, the charge was, "Hey, if you stand up to defend the colonies." we're going to take care of you if something happens to you. So if you're not able to produce, if you're not able to work as a result of an injury sustained because you were fighting for us, we're going to help you out. So it was a recruitment tool. It was a retention tool. And really uh, from the earliest days of our country, there was this charge, this, this, this uh, mantra that we have to take care of veterans no matter what, because they served. Well, we know what happens next, right? There's the Revolutionary War, there's the Civil War, there's World War I, there's World War II, and all of this stuff morphed over hundreds of years. Now, the VA benefits system is based on federal law. It's codified in federal law, and those laws have constantly been changed and updated over hundreds of years. So what started off as a 10-page law is now about a 7,500-page you know, law. Wow. So the process has just become so confusing and convoluted over time that, I mean, it's, it's confusing for somebody who's a quote-unquote expert. I mean, I'm constantly learning. I've got, I've got about 10,000 hours now uh, over the last 12 years serving veterans, handling my own claims, researching, writing, etc. And I have to stay on top of my game every day. Because a law changes, a new bill is passed, the VA announces some new regulation. It's a, it's a wicked uh, weave and blend of law, of case law. So there's all kinds of court of federal claims, case law precedent that comes out. And then there's all these regulations that change within the government that dictate how veterans get their benefits. So the, the process is just, you know, you've probably heard the term a, a wicked problem. The, the, the VA yeah. system the VA system is a wicked problem that's just become even more wicked over time
1: and does anybody want to reform it I mean it, it just you know when you add complication you add cost and over the long yep. run, you know, you know, the people who, who should be getting the benefit, they're the ones that end up suffering. They suffer because of yep. time complication. And, you know, sometimes it, this I, this will sound conspiracy <laughs> theorist, but sometimes I think the government builds makes these things complicated just to wear people down. So not everybody comes after what they're trying to get. It,
2: it's an interesting theory. Um, you know, I, I tend to I tend to look at it this way. I don't necessarily think that the VA is trying to not give veterans what they deserve. I I really, truly believe that there's good humans on that side who are legitimately trying to help veterans. They're just playing by the rules of the game that they've been dealt. And it's difficult for them. I mean, the the yeah. claim adjudicators, it's hard for them. And so you asked a really important question, though. Uh, I'm blessed to be able to be on some of these calls with uh, the House Veterans Affairs Committee, the Senate Veterans Affairs Committees. We speak to a lot of uh, House reps and senators about the VA, about some of these bills and things that are needed to help change the system. And I'll tell you, this past year, for the first time, we're actually hearing from staffers, and elected officials that they're open to VA reform. Um, We don't, we don't know what that looks like yet, but it's been way too long. Uh, Massive reform is needed and we want to be part of the solution. I mean, that's what we keep telling these elected officials is regardless of the impacts positive or negative it has on our business. We want to reform the system so that veterans can get what they deserve faster we can save the American taxpayer money because it's about them too. Yeah. It's, it's even bigger than the veterans. It's about making sure that the right amount goes to the right person because this is taxpayer money we're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so, so you started this up and this was, this was kind of an entrepreneurial push for you. And obviously, we always try to share entrepreneurial stories. Um, you know, this, this spark... Um, started sometime earlier in your life, right? I mean, at some point, you know, the, you you got this entrepreneurial bug, and um, even throughout the military, you had um, there. There came this point of time. So, I'd like to kind of explore the history a little bit, and um, and, yeah. and and see what's there, because because we have a lot of people who listen to the show that that. Um, Oh, maybe they want to be entrepreneurs. I, I sometimes I, I think you can't just choose to be an entrepreneur. I think that there are certain things that kind of come into play, um, yeah. and, and lessons, and 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 you don't you don't learn unless you lose a few times. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about. I mean, so why, why did you decide to to go into the military to begin with?
2: Yeah. So uh, I mean, let me be clear about being an entrepreneur. I mean, I, I was I was born an entrepreneur. I mean, entrepreneurship called me, not the other way around. Yeah from a, from a very, very young age, you know, I was the kid who was MacGyvering certain things. I don't know if you remember the show MacGyver, mm-hmm. you know, always trying to create and build cool stuff in the backyard and trying new ways to build a fort and how to do this and how to take apart an engine and put it back together. It was just a, a very curious kid. Um, wanted to know the way things worked, uh, and more importantly, why they worked or why they didn't. And one of my earliest entrepreneurial stories, it's actually kind of funny to reflect on now, and I think it's actually a good lesson for parents. It's a great lesson for parents of how do you cultivate an entrepreneurial spirit within your own kids? Um, You know, maybe set some left and right parameters for them, but you don't stifle who they are. And this story happened to me when I was in, I think I was in about third grade. And, you know, again, the entrepreneurial bug got me. I noticed there was a problem in our school. That problem was we had all these kids that wanted candy and there were no candy stores. There were no candy shops. There was no ability for kids to get candy at school. There were no vending machines or anything like that. So I had this idea that I was going to take the little bit of money I'd saved up for mowing lawns. And I was going to buy a whole bunch of candy and I'd buy it in bulk and I would create a little store out of my school locker. And so, you know, I became known as the candy guy and basically I was running a very profitable candy store out of my school locker in third grade. So I bet the school and, loved that, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and that went really well right up until the principal found out. And so, so the principal, you know, calls my parents in, you know, forces me to shut down the store, had a conference, you know, they were talking about, you know, massive suspension, et cetera, et cetera. And in the way that my mom and dad handled this situation is the way that I think like, if I could, I would encourage all parents to handle this way. Instead of them getting upset because the, the principal was, was a little bit ticked off instead of my parents getting upset They turned it into, what can we use for good to teach Brian a lesson that, hey, someday his creativity and his entrepreneurship is going to help change the world and save a lot of lives, right? It's just maybe this particular uh, incident is not what he was destined to do, but there's a lesson to be learned. And so I remember my parents talking, I mean, I'm in the principal's office. I can picture myself sitting there and my mom and dad are in there talking to the principal and he was talking about... You know, how many days should he be suspended and blah, blah, blah. And my dad actually pipes up, I remember this, and he looks at the principal and he says, you know, I got to tell you, he said, that's, you know, he was pretty creative, pretty innovative to, you know, really identify a problem and and then solve it. I mean, that's really at the heart of entrepreneurship is you identify a problem and you offer a solution. And so by the time this conversation ended, the principal was, I think actually kind of amazed that a third grader was running a profitable store out of his locker and that the third grader took all the initiative to make it happen. So anyway, what resulted was I had to close this store, but there was no suspension. And I remember when we got back in the car, we started leaving. I remember my dad, he wasn't even mad. He just turned around and he looked at me and he said, my son, I'm really proud of you someday this lesson is really going to sink in with you in your life and you're going to help a lot more people. I mean, that's in third grade. And so, you know, I think the, the lesson that I would love for all parents to take away here is cultivate that entrepreneurial spirit within your children and encourage them. Okay. Because it's never over unless you quit. And sometimes all you need is that spark That mom and dad who loves you, who are proud of you, who can encourage you. And you never know what that one conversation might do for that little boy or girl. It may change their life and the lives of many others.
1: What a great story. Um, You know, (laughs) do do you ever wonder if that if that principal was alive today? Maybe maybe he is. I don't know. I mean, um, if if he could benefit from the story of what's become of you since then.
2: Uh, I'm sure he'd be blown away. And and the funny thing, though, is I'm not I'm not sure if he'd be surprised. I think he'd be I think he would be super proud and impressed and blown away. Yeah. But blown away is different than being surprised. I I bet if you were to talk to him today, he would say, I'm not surprised.
1: Yeah, just maybe, just maybe. I mean, I think I think you can see sparks like that. I mean, if I think about my childhood friends that that all had that kind of wild spirit, you know, did different things, you know, all of them have have kind of built and done something on their own. And it's, it's just, it's yeah. it's great to see. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, Facebook allows everybody to connect when that didn't exist when, when I was in school. Um, but, sure. but now we get to see what everybody's doing. And um, and it does raise a question, though, as to whether or not anybody can be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, is, is entrepreneurialism really, is it a spark? Is it something that's within you? Or is it something that can be taught? I'm sure it can be cultivated if it's there. But if the seed isn't there, can it actually be cultivated?
2: You know, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I have thought a lot about this and I actually distinguish, uh, when, when you use the word entrepreneur, I distinguish it a little bit differently maybe than other people do. And the way that I distinguish it is there's a huge difference in my opinion between founder and entrepreneur. Yes. And, and I think that, I think it's a, it's a worthwhile distinction to make. So can we, I you know, think
1: can we do this? Yeah, Brian? I hate to cut you yeah. off, but we're we're actually up on our first break. Um, okay. So, yeah. So I think this is this is going to be a good topic to get in. And so so everybody, stay tuned. We're going to be back in just a couple of minutes. And um, when we come back, let's let's we're, we're going to dig in a little deeper into this difference between a founder and an entrepreneur. Because I I think this is a great great theory. So uh, we'll be right back.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com
0: forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of The Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit NexecuteGroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Brian Reese. So
1: Brian, just before we went to the break, we were going down this great path about the difference between entrepreneur and a founder. I'd love to hear your theory on this.
2: Yeah. So when I think about a founder, and and a founder is really what I am. Yes, I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm a founder first. And the, the, the difference, I think, is the founders are what I call pioneers. They're your visionaries. They're the creators. They're typically the ones with a pretty insane tolerance for risk. Uh, we have zero ability to accept the status quo. Uh, the only constant is change and, and that's just sort of how we live our lives. And that's how we see the world. I mean, sometimes I call it the founder's curse. Uh, it, it's, I don't think it's actually a curse, but basically like I can't go anywhere without trying to fix and reinvent things. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I can't, can't even go, I, I can't even go into a restaurant if I see inefficiencies or I see something that needs to change. It's like, I have to take action. Like I can't ignore it. And so I think that there are a very small number of folks who I would describe as your hardcore founders. And those are the, the folks I just mentioned. Those are typically your people who will take a wild idea and they'll go all in on it. Right? They're your they're your Steve Jobs. Yeah. They're the they're the folks who who found companies and movements that truly change the world. And, and so that's, that's how I would categorize a founder. Then when I, when I say entrepreneur, I think anybody can be entrepreneurial. In fact, when I was in the military and we can talk if you want later about my path into the military and why I chose that. Sure. But in the military, I functioned as an entrepreneur. I was constantly fixing things, reinventing processes, coming up with new ideas. How can we acquire this product or service faster, better? How can we make sure we get a better technical spec? I mean, that's just sort of who I am. And so I think we've got a lot of folks, whether they're in government, whether they're in nonprofits, whether they're in for-profits, who are entrepreneurial, and sometimes they're intrapreneurial, meaning they're doing it for another organization, not necessarily for themselves, the difference, I think, between the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur is the entrepreneur decides eventually I want to do this for myself. Yeah. OK, well, guess what? You can be an entrepreneur and be a franchise owner. Right. I mean, you might get the bug and say, you know, I've always had this passion to serve people great food. And I love the concept of Chick-fil-A and I'm a U.S. military veteran and I want to own a Chick-fil-A. Like, I want to own and operate at Chick-fil-A. Well, you're starting down the path right there of being an entrepreneur, right? Now, I wouldn't call you a founder because you didn't found Chick-fil-A, right? You're helping build out the brand as an entrepreneur. So I think it takes a very special person to be a founder. I think anybody can be an entrepreneur if they're willing to sweat enough. Yeah, and And the emphasis there is, the willingness to sweat and suffer through pain because your success, look, it's going to be dictated by your actions. And to me, Colin Powell has a great quote, uh, former four star, four star general. He, I mean, I think it's the best quote on success. He says, success is defined as the result of preparation, hard work and learning from failure and I really believe that. I mean, all of the successes and failures I've had in my life can come down to preparation, hard work, and learning from failure.
1: Absolutely agreed. And, and you know, failure is failure can can be powerful in so many ways because it's not just learning sure. from it, but it's also knowing what the experience of failure is and yep. learning that you can get beyond that, right? So... So, you know, I've seen so many people who start out on the path of being an entrepreneur and this this is why I wonder if, if any if everybody has that entrepreneurial bug if if they really have to and they they, they hit one bump and they give up. You know, yeah. and um you know, a, a real entrepreneur doesn't doesn't give up. They learn from it, they change, they, they they adapt, they do whatever they need to do and um and they keep plowing forward and they 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 are convinced that sooner or later they're going to have success. And there's so many stories of, of all the people and how many times they failed, you know, just, just read any story from any of the great business, you know, business leaders that started their companies from, you know, you you know, look look at the Apple guys, you know, if you go back to Wozniak and, and and jobs and, you know, their failures, I mean, Apple almost didn't exist at one point. And then, um, you know, Bill Gates lived under his desk you know, for, for yeah. a while when he was done. I mean, nothing comes without hard work. And and I was just telling somebody the yeah. story the other day of of um, these, um, these, I'll call them kids, they're, they're college age kids that we know from this other family who have both decided to become entrepreneurs and make money on the internet while they're sleeping, right? I mean, there, isn't that the dream job? It. And they're sitting back and they and, and they're still living at home. They're still not generating really anything. It's like, well, you got to put some work in. It do, you don't just start a website and sit back and just let it be. I mean, you know, there's 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 a lot yeah. of work involved, and I don't know that everybody really gets it. And so, you know, no, as, they don't. As somebody who's got that founder's bug, it, it seems to me, and 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 please don't take this the wrong way. I, you know, I'm, oh, a, I'm a big supporter of the military and um, a lot of veterans in our family, but it, it seems to me that that joining the armed forces is almost almost could be counterintuitive to somebody who's got a founder's mentality because as you mentioned, you could be an entrepreneur in the armed forces, but you know, a lot of, a lot of the stuff set, sure. you know, f- you're following path. It is. So, so how, yeah. you know, what was, what was your decision point and um, and what was it like <laughs> for you?
2: Yeah. Sure. That's it. No, that's a great, I don't, I don't, I don't take any offense at all of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's valid. Um, when you join the department of defense, you're, you're joining the world's largest bureaucracy. I mean, that's, that's just fact. Um. And I'll tell you, I joined the military for three reasons. Number one, I wanted to play division one collegiate hockey. Number two, I wanted to get a great education. Number three, I wanted to serve my country. And it was really those three things, and so even though I was in, insanely entrepreneurial and, and probably could have gone a different path and not joined the military and you know started a tech company and moved to Palo Alto in the in the late two thousands and and launched that, I this childhood dream of mine was just it was just on fire that I wanted to play college hockey. I wanted to compete at a high level in sports. And, you know, I have no regrets that I did that because it opened so many doors for me. And, and then it led to the company that I founded that helps other veterans. So folks who, who served in the military, I mean, those are my peeps. So, you know, being able to do that, it, everything's come full circle. And you've maybe heard other entrepreneurs talk about this before, that, you know, nothing ever makes sense when you're looking forward. It's only, it's only with the benefit of hindsight that you can look back and realize that all of these experiences you've had in your life, they're all interconnected. They're all related and they're all marching you down these paths. And I believe because of free will, we get to choose what that path is going to be. I mean, in 2018, I had to make the decision to, to quit. I had to resign from federal service. And I loved my job and people thought I was crazy, man. I mean, people thought I was nuts. They're they like, what are you going to do? Gonna do for, they're like, what are you going to do for money? Like, like you're not going to have any benefits. You have, you have a son, you just got divorced. I mean, they were literally like afraid for me. They thought I was, I was out of my mind. And I just, I finally told them, I said, look, you know have peace, God's got his hand on this. I'm going to be okay this is what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to go all in. And you know, when you make that decision, when you make that, it's like world series of poker. If anybody's ever watched that on TV, when you're playing no limit, Hold'em them. And you look across the person at the table and you look down at your stack and you go, I'm all in. I mean, that's the decision I made. It's like, I'm all in. I'm pushing the chips to the center of the table. And I know for a fact, I'm not going to fail. I may get kicked in the teeth a bunch of times, but I'm never going to quit no matter what. And I think if, if you're going to be a founder, I think that's the mentality you have to have.
1: Yeah, it's got to be kind of like a, a, a never say die or, or failure is not an option. I mean, I know these sound like cliches, but it's really, really true that, you know, you can't just dip your toe in it. Um, <laughs> no. you know, so, so 20 years ago when I started my business, I, I left the corporate world. I, 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 left a good salary. Um, but the company I was working for had just been sold, but the, um, the, the new owners were, were, had made me a really nice offer to stay and. I declined. I walked away, and, and pe- people thought I was nuts. I, I can remember my best friend um, sitting there and h- saying, "You know what? I, I've always wanted to do it, but I, but I don't have the guts. I don't know how you can you could take the flyer and not not know." And and it's just like it was like this. I don't want to call it arrogance, but it was a quiet confidence that things were going to be okay. And you know what, yeah. I, I, I can be successful and, and that confidence is important because it drives you forward. And I'll tell you, failure after failure, but built, I've built a pretty successful organization over time, successful enough Amen. for what I'm looking for, right? And, um, and that confidence is, is, is important, but fear stops a lot of people. Yeah. Look, there's, thank
2: you for for sharing that. And and congratulations, by the way, on all your successes and everything with this podcast. I love connecting with other entrepreneurs and, you know, for all your listeners, there's one thing I want to talk about right now, because you just brought it up and that's the word fear. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't want to sound too cliche either, but you know, a while back, president John F. Kennedy sat up during the cold war and he told the nation, he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And that quote has stuck with me my whole life. Yeah, I think that a lot of times we're afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of because the probability of them actually happening are, are pretty low, but our minds have a, have a really dirty way of tricking us into believing that maybe there's more risk in a situation than there really is. And so I, I truly believe that all human beings, I'm, I'm going to say that again. I believe that all human beings have a certain level of fear of failure and or fear of success. Yes. Now, this is just this is just amazing for me. And, and people, sometimes I say fear of success, and they're like, what are you talking about? That was my problem.
1: Yeah, I know exactly Early what you're talking on, about. I mean, I've experienced fear of success from people left and right. They almost self-sabotage or... You know, it's like, oh my God, what happens if this works? I'm sorry I interrupted, but to me, the fear of success is huge. Keep going. I'm sorry.
2: It's no, you're good. It's, 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 look, and I'm going to share a personal story. Okay. I'm not some superhero that's got it all together. I got PTSD. I've got a bipolar disorder. I've thought about committing suicide in the past. I've been an alcoholic. I've been a drug addict. I've been through a divorce at 34 years old. Um, you know, look, life happens. Stuff is going to happen to all of us. And there's something I learned. There can be beauty in the brokenness. It's what you decide to do. The decision you decide to make when you're faced with adversity. And sometimes that adversity might be so bad. You have everything you do just to get down on your knees and pray. That, That may be the only thing you can do. In some of your darkest moments, but I'll tell you, I've been on my knees and I've had to say that prayer a couple of times where I thought I had nowhere else to go. And when I've bottomed out, when I've hit those moments of saying, I don't think it can get any worse than this. That's typically when the breakthroughs came, the breakthroughs happened in those moments. And for me, the fear of success actually held me back more than the fear of failure. Because as kind of, you know, you're a pure play founder with an insane risk tolerance, I wasn't afraid of failing, but I was afraid of succeeding. And so in previous startups, I absolutely went through that process of self-sabotage of going, am I going to destroy my life if I become wealthy? Am I going to lose myself and my family and my kids? Am I going to work myself to death? I mean, so I had that fear of success that crippled me for about eight years. And the way that I got over it was working with a coach. A coach helped me through this process of working through the fear of success. And basically we worked on the fact that I was lying to myself Like what I was telling myself I was going to do was a lie because I'd already ruined my life anyway. That's, that's the part I need you to hear. I was worried about the kind of human I was going to become if I accumulated wealth, but I actually already destroyed my life before I had wealth. So I was literally feeding myself a lie. I'll tell you, I've become a lot better person having things And when I didn't have things, that's not to say you can't be a great person if you don't have things, but I've been able to maximize impact. I've been able to give so much money away and pour my heart and soul into people. We've been able to help veterans get off of drugs and alcohol. We've been able to help veterans restore their marriages before divorce. We've stopped veterans from killing themselves. Tell you that this is something I'm really passionate about. U.S. military veterans are more than 50% likely to take their own life than somebody who didn't serve. And we're on a mission to change it. I mean, it's one of our social wise that we go right after. And, and the underlying root cause there is mental health, which we're passionate about. So my point in sharing all of this is it's going to be scary. You're going to deal with either fear of failure and or fear of success. It happens to Everybody. The question is, what are you going to do about it? That's the question you have to answer, is are you going to do something about it, or are you going to quit? That's the difference.
1: So this is, this is super powerful stuff. We're already up on our next break, so um, I, I'm gonna, we're going to keep this conversation going in just a couple of minutes, so stay tuned, everyone.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward
0: slash Voice True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of The Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit NexecuteGroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E Group.com. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts.
1: So we're back one last time with Brian Reese. And so Brian, just before the break, I mean, you know, you're talking about really the decision to take action, right? Um, that, that's yeah. how I would describe it. Oftentimes when I've coached people, you know, it's, it, there is this kind of need for a decision to Decision to to take action, but you have to recognize that that decision is important. You you mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned your own struggles. You know, alcoholism and and, and drug addictions for one. I mean these. Getting over these things, it's not just a simple decision. I mean, there's there's a lot of work, and everything has to happen. And and you yeah. made the comment about breakthrough moments. And I wonder, you know, do you, I wonder if you could share a story or two of of whether it was when when you were trying to break the the drug addiction or alcohol. What was the breakthrough? What was that moment that said, you know, what I do need to do something about this?
2: <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you the exact moment, um, for anybody who, who drinks alcohol. And by the way, I'm not an alcohol hater. Um, lots of, lots of folks around me still drink. Um, and I have no issue with it. I just figured out that for me, I have a very addictive personality and one of the breakthroughs I had actually came from watching, uh, a documentary on Lawrence Taylor, and if anybody who doesn't know who Lawrence Taylor is, he's probably the greatest NFL defensive player to ever play the game. Uh, played for the New York Giants under Bill Belichick. In fact, New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick says uh, he, he's the best defensive player he's ever coached in his whole career as Lawrence Taylor. What people don't know about Lawrence Taylor is he used to be drunk and he used to snort cocaine before the games. And yet he'd still go out, you know, and make 16 tackles and have two forced fumbles and be the the league MVP every year. And so, you know, here you got this guy who's like at the top of his game. He's an ultra top performer, one of the best ever. And yet he's able to perform at that level, just totally hopped up on alcohol and drugs. And and as the documentary is going on, he's talking about his rebirth and, and his reawakening. And he said something that I'll never forget. He looks at the screen and he says, you know, I guess I'm just one of those guys that has a very addictive personality. And so I guess I just learned through the years that I need to get addicted to the right things. And man, that one hit me square in the chest. It was, it was like, he was speaking to me because I have that same exact addictive behaviors. I've got a very addictive personality and you know, you gotta, if, if that's you, you got to get addicted to the right things because if you don't, you're going to spiral down on the wrong things and it's going to destroy your life. So that was, that was one of the early things was receiving that word from Lawrence Taylor and then being willing to be honest about what I was dealing with. You know, so many of us, we, we lie to ourselves. We, we tell ourselves, well, you know, maybe I'm not drinking that much or, you know, I only, you know, I only snorted one pill you know, not two or three. And so we, we, we kind of marginalize what the real issue is and we dance around it without going right at it. And I'm going to encourage you to just look yourself in the mirror. And if you're doing something that is not helping you personally, professionally, in your relationships, mentally, spiritually, if there's something you're addicted to, that's not contributing to success in your life. Just give yourself a minute, give yourself the grace, forgive yourself, and then stop doing it for a short period of time and see what happens. There's another quote that changed my life and it allowed me to kick the booze. Okay, I never had to go through therapy or treatment. I literally just made the decision. I'm reading a book on this guy's battle with alcohol. And in the quote he mentions in there, he says, an alcoholic is anyone whose life gets better when they stop drinking. Oh, that's another one that smoked me right in the chest. It's like, and I, and I thought about that and I went, you know, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to try not drinking alcohol for one week and I'm going to see what happens. Cause I I mean, I was drinking a lot every day. So I, so I literally made the commitment. I said, I said, I'm just going to try not drinking for a week well, guess what? At about day four, I'm sleeping better. I look better. I feel better. There's no bags under my eyes. My coffee tastes better in the morning. I've got a a, a, a a skip, right? A little hop in my step in the morning. I'm more personable. I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I mean, this is at day four. And so I went back to that quote and I said, I finally told myself, I said, I meet that definition. I'm done with booze and I quit and I haven't touched it since. And so, you know, it's, it's, I think there's, there's all these little signs. There's these little moments and nuggets that are going to get dropped on us throughout our life. And I would just encourage you to be open to receiving those, let them marinate for a minute and then be honest with yourself about where you're at. And, and you know what, if you feel like you need to make a change, you probably do. So make that little change and see what happens in your life.
1: So yeah, sorry, I'm curious about this too. Was the drug addiction before or after this? Uh,
2: I was in tandem. So in tandem. you know, back back to the addictive personality. You yeah. know, for me, it was it was more. You know, the more the booze, I, the more booze I had, the more pills I wanted, and vice versa. Mm-hmm got
1: it and um and so were you able to you know i mean drug addictions and even alcohol to some degree can have a chemical dependency that is is really hard to break it's it, it can be more than a decision at least for some people like you said a lot of people need Correct. therapy and everything were you able just to just turn the drugs off the same way
2: i, I was uh, i'll tell you my my drug of choice was clonopin so you know with some of my mental health issues i became you know horribly addicted to a fast-acting anti-anxiety medication called clonopin, and you know, looking back on that, I had a lot of doctors who had no problem writing me scripts, and you know, somebody along the line should have said, you know, hey, this guy's been on clonopin for four years. You know, this is something we use to treat anxiety for two weeks, but nobody ever said that. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not. I'm, it's look, I'm not going to fault them. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to blame them for it, but. It sure, certainly raises eyebrows and questions, or at least it should. should. Um, but what happened is um, after I quit the booze, uh, similar to the drugs, I went, you know what? I got to quit this too because because I'm doing too much of this and I don't think it's helping. I think it's hurting. And so I remember going into my doctor at the VA and I said, you know, I'd like to switch to an anxiety medication that's more sustainable long term. And he looked at me and he said, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, "Well, I think we should end the clonopin." And he goes, "I agree." So, so I mean, literally, it, it was that fast. the The clonopin was gone. We, we did a, a a tapering plan, so I didn't just go cold turkey on the clonopin. We, we we worked it down. Uh, you know, cut the pill in half, then cut the pill in half again, and that happened over a period of months. Uh, but eventually, I, I just quit taking it. Um, and decided that I don't need it anymore. So, uh, but for anybody out there listening to, you know, alcohol and drug addictions can be unbelievably powerful. And, you know, I'm not at all advocating that you should try to quit on your own. Uh, If you can, awesome. Uh, most folks are are typically going to need some therapy, sometimes even inpatient therapy. And you know what? That's okay. Right. I'm giving you permission to go do it. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength.
1: And yeah, no truer words have been said, you know, uh, and so, so here you are, you had that, you, you mentioned you went through a divorce, you know, you've had a lot of things, um, go on and yet you're still successful. I mean, yeah, you, you've been knocked down so many times. What kept you from giving up?
2: God, honestly. And, and look at whatever you believe, I really don't care what you believe. We, we live in a free country. I'll tell you what I believe because I believe that there are going to be moments in your life where you are not going to be capable of getting through it on your own. You might not even be able to get through it on your own with other people. And so then you have to ask yourself the question, well, what do I do then? And I think that's where your faith and that's where your spirituality comes in. And for me, it's a big part of my life. When I was younger, It wasn't always a big part of my life. Uh, In times of success, it's typically been a huge part. So uh, I see direct correlations between faith and spirituality and success.
1: So, you know, in building your organization then, I mean, you know, it seems to me like I, I think story is such an important part of all of us right and sure. and it allows for a certain amount of empathy and, and tie and you know certainly you can bring forth enough stories and experience that you know a, a wounded veteran in particular could trust you right? I mean, trust doesn't always come sure. easy to people who've been through it, especially when they're, when they're being dealt with by people who've never been in their situation. Um, you, know, yeah. you, you mentioned that your organization, I think you said over 200 people now, 200 people yeah. helping out. Um, you know, who do you hire? Are, are these people all veterans as well? I mean, how, how, do, how do they build the empathetic bridge with, with the veterans that are uh. really suffering?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you who my favorite hires are. My, my favorite hires are our former clients. N- nothing gives me more satisfaction than a veteran finds us. We serve them. We support them. We help them celebrate life change. They finally get their VA benefits that they've earned for their service. And then de- what happens with some of them is the process ends, the program ends, and they don't want to leave. And all of a sudden, something ignites within them where they go, I, You know, I loved working with my coach. I loved that this coach cared about me and gave back to me. You know what? I kind of lost myself after I took off the uniform. I want to be around my peeps again. I want to serve other vets. And then those folks will typically reach out and say, Hey, are y'all hiring coaches? Because I'm willing to start at the bottom. I want to learn how to do this because I want to serve fellow vets. And I would, bet, I would bet well over half of our coaches, it's probably more like 75% of our coaches are former clients. And so, you know, when you're a former client, you remember some of the roadblocks and just kind of how you felt. Some of the things that were holding you back or standing in your way, you remember those things when you start serving clients who come to you. And so, you know, look, I think, I think leadership is ultimately about influence. And I think influence is ultimately about trust. And I think trust is ultimately about vulnerability. I'll tell you, man, breakthroughs for me started happening when I was more vulnerable. And what I mean by that is, you know, I don't, I don't mean you have to go run out on the street and start telling everybody your baggage. That's not what I mean when I use the word Vulnerable. When I talk about vulnerable, I mean saying things to each other like, I'm sorry. I really screwed that up. Will you forgive me? It's being on the phone with a teammate who's sick with COVID. It's driving an hour to go sit with somebody in the hospital just to be there for them. Okay, That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about vulnerability. And then being willing to share openly some of the struggles that you've had, because the more vulnerable you are, the faster you're going to build trust. If you want to have influence as a leader, you got to have trust. And so I truly believe if, if we trace back, you know, how did we grow so big so fast? I truly believe it's the power of vulnerability. If, if we trace it back, it would be our willingness to be uncomfortably vulnerable all the time.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, so much is coming out in the business world. There's so much talk about vulnerability. Um, you know, business books like Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team, where he where he states yeah. that you know vulnerability, a willingness to be vulnerable, is is the key to building trust. I mean, you just you said it. You said it in different words, but but I th- yeah. I think it's there. And 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 I don't know though. I, I've seen it before. You, there's just certain people that want to put the wall up. And yeah. how do you how do you help them bring it down? So so again you've got veterans in and you know their, their levels of trust can be in a lot of different places and if mistrust is there then vulnerability yeah. really comes difficult and if they've been through the ringer and they're trying to get their benefits and, and maybe you know you weren't the first call you're now the last call and you're dealing yeah. with somebody how, how do you help them get over that what you know what are some some things that that um, you know if, if any of our listeners have you know are either a veteran themselves or they have a veteran in the family that they're trying to help how could you how can you help them get to that point of vulnerability um, so that they would yeah. seek help, they would tell people their stories.
2: Yeah. So we come at it a couple of ways, and and again, no, none of this is hard and fast because everybody's different, and everybody we serve is going to be at a different place when we when we get them. And so, you know, typically what we tell folks as soon as they join is we say, "Look, we're going to meet you halfway, no matter what. All right? I need you. To, I need you to meet me halfway too. But if if you take that step and meet me on the middle of the battlefield." I'm going to go to war with you and I'll take bullets for you. You know, and when you, when you say things like that, it instantly clicks in somebody's mind that they just go, I mean, this is a human being that really cares about me and I don't even know who they are. So that's, that's one way I think is just really truly serving them and being willing to lay your life down for that person. And that's what we encourage our coaches to do. Um, You know, sometimes we encounter somebody who's not ready and, you know, we'll be very honest with them. If, if we think somebody should go another path, if we say, Hey, you know what? I really think you should go over here and try this organization first. It, it may save you some money. Um, you know, we're very honest and open about that, you know, cause our, our, our services aren't for everybody. Our services are only for the veterans who want to be helped. And, and sometimes folks aren't, sometimes they're not ready the, the one thing I found, though, and I'll, I'll close with this, and then if you have uh, any more questions, I'm happy to answer. But one of the things that we get a lot here is veterans come into our program reluctantly because of a mindset problem that they're having. And that mindset problem is they're telling themselves in their own brain that they don't deserve this. Hence the title of the book, You Deserve It. Veterans, literally, we tell ourselves, and that some of this is ingrained in us in the military culture. We are trained to take care of everyone else except ourselves, and so all of a sudden, you're a veteran, and now you have to take care of yourself, and we don't know how to do that because we're used to taking care of everybody else. So, some of what we do is is we help the veterans overcome a mindset issue. We actually give them permission. So, I'll have a lot of first exploratory calls, and I'll say, "Hey." I just want to make sure I'm I'm clear with you. You wore the uniform of, of our country. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Is it true that you deployed to Iraq? Yes, I did. Okay. So look, I want to help you with something. I'm giving you permission right here, right now to get every penny of benefits you've earned for your service. Because you know what? The American people want you to have that. If that doesn't work and the veterans still can't get over it, I'll tell them this don't do it for you. Do it for your family. And that's typically uh, very rarely have I seen it not work past that point. Yeah, um, but, I, but I think it starts with, you know, again, being vulnerable, being willing to lay your life down for that person, and then meeting them on that battlefield, wherever they are, giving them permission, because they're probably telling themselves they don't deserve it. And if that doesn't work, you tell them, don't do it for you, then do it for your family.
1: Brian, that's great advice. And unfortunately, we're out of time. I wish we could keep going. You know, um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So for any of the listeners out there that 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 want want more, uh, certainly you can always um you can always uh, track me down. You know, track our team down through listener at uh transformativeexperts.com and we'll make a connection for you. But Brian, if they want to find you or your organization, um, would you please just spell out the the website? Give us the website and spell it out.
2: Sure. Yeah. You can just go to VA insider.com if you want you can even just open google and type va victor alpha claims c-l-a-i-m-s insider.com
1: yep all is one word and then um the the book you mentioned it it's it's called you deserve it is it it's available on amazon i'm assuming
2: Yep. It's so you deserve it the definitive guide to getting the better benefits you've earned Uh, we hit number one amazon bestseller in 11 categories is crazy um so blessed to serve y'all. You can get it on Amazon. Barnes and Noble you can get paperback ebook uh, it's available in other boutique outlets as well.
1: Excellent again. So so you know hopefully all of you have heard, have, have learned a lot today. I mean we've talked about it, some great stuff around entrepreneurialism and 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 everything else but but if you are a veteran if you do have a veteran in the family anybody who needs some help help is out there. And uh, Brian is one of many resources but but certainly you know take a look at his organization take a look at the book. Brian, thanks again for for being with us today.
2: You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Okay, everyone, that's, uh, that's it for our time today. So until next week, uh, take care.
0: Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.